Hi, this is Natalie Lander, voice of Kinsey, Tara Branford, Stargirl, and many others. You are listening to a W2Mnet podcast. You can visit w2mnet.com for other podcasts about entertainment, video games, sports, and wrestling. All right, and we are live right now. It is the return of soccer to the max. And here with me, it's awesome to, to be back and have all oh, the whole crew. Rachel is back here. Got Eric here. And we're on camera. If you're watching us either live on Twitch or on Face on the Facebook page or on YouTube later. So, you know, the new season started. And at least the new European seasons have started. So I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but obviously, you know, MLS has been on for a while. And the NWSL has been back. Um, you know, all the other American leagues have uh, been on the Euros ended, all that stuff. A gold cup ended, but like, I was like, you know what? Maybe we should bring back this show. I'm kind of like excited to talk about soccer. You know, I got all the hype and, and all the seasons coming back and everything. And I was like, Let, let's, let's, let's figure out something to be able to do this show. Um, so like, you know, it's been a while since we've all uh, been here gathered to talk about this. I mean, one of the uh, things that we're kind of trying to do this for this go around is have like segments and have like topics for everybody. And the first thing I want to start out with is our headlines, you know? And so for Rachel, what is your like headline for this week? Like your big thing out of soccer this week? My big thing out of soccer for my headlines is that the NWSL should invest in VAR and it is so long overdue. Like I think it, I I'll be the minority here and say that I love VAR. I think it's great. And with so much officiating chaos in the last few weeks with the NWSL particularly, I think that it would be a good investment. Why, like, so what is, what's been happening, for people that are not, you know, like, you know, including, what's been happening that you feel like, man, we really need to make this investment, whereas yeah. other leagues already have it? So the NWSL really, it, it's been, like, weird calls for, like, player safety, I guess, so to say. There's been some instances with, like, Orlando, like, there were issues with the Chicago-Orlando game recently that Taylor Korniak and Sydney LaRue, a lot of people claimed were, like, out to injure players for Chicago and the referees weren't doing enough to protect players. I know Morgan Gautreaux, formerly Morgan Bryan, and I think it was Colaprico or DiBernardo, I don't remember which one, but one of them left on crutches and so did um Morgan Bryan for like pretty dangerous slide tackles like to the point where the player already kicks the ball and then there there's the slide tackle like just Ooh. not enough Ooh. I guess concern for player safety it's like pro has just been kind of a mess recently with um the NWSL and Lisa Baird who's the commissioner said you know it's something that we're thinking about and it's something that we're talking about. But I feel like the big storyline at the NWSL, especially with other recent events, like the whole Richie Burke thing being um, saying that he stepped down from the Washington spirit because of medical reasons, when it was reported by the Washington post that he 
had been fired for verbally abusing, using racial slurs, all kinds of stuff to different players. Um, so I think that NWSL would do themselves a big favor. I mean, that whole Richie Burke stuff is like a totally different story. But anyway, I think that NWSL would do themselves a favor. I feel like they've always been behind the MLS, like MLS, USL even, in terms of like officiating and just kind of, I don't want to say quality, but I'm going to say quality. And I think the NWSL would do themselves a favor if there was more accountability on the officiating front. And I think a lot of that would be helped with the fact that like with VAR, I think VAR is a great tool and it's, I think it's something that the NWSL really needs to invest in. I mean, MLS has had it for what, like three, almost four years now. So like get with the program, come on. They used VAR at the world cup in 2019 and during uh, past Olympics. You would think with MLS being the ones that really originated this thing, as far as like really wanting to use it, that a lot of the American leagues would already just, it would be something you just transplant to the American leagues already. Um, So it's kind of weird to see that NWSL is not using it um, or has not already hit up the MLS about it. Um, So, I mean, and we're, we're seeing like, like all the leagues basically use it now, almost yeah. all of them. So it's and there's weird. so many yeah. partner clubs like Thorns Timbers, um, the OL Rain in Seattle have been partnering on stuff. Yeah. Um, Pride Orlando City SC, like keep going down the list. I mean, even with the USL, Louisville City and Racing Louisville, I, I just don't understand where the mismatches and why the NWSL is so against not like staying up to date. I guess. And with something like this, we've seen over the years, yes, there was the initial gripe, but with the overall VAR setup, it's just been easier and easier to implement. And as we've seen, for all the people who say, oh, we hate it, it ruins the game, takes too long with these calls, like everything else, it's been adapted. Calls are quicker, everything's more efficient, so... It's not hard, and I'm curious as to why the NWSL is like, okay, we want to be, and we already are, at a fairly good level of competition, the top tier. We need to keep it that way. I mean, like, so, you know, Eric, what do you think is the uh, big thing for you this week? Well, for all of the hype, in the chaos and controversy around Lionel Messi's big move to PSG. We're not necessarily done, as there's potential more shakeups in the works, specifically now killing Mbappe. Well, he's going to be out of contract soon. All kinds of negotiations could be going on. They're set for him to meet with PSG top brass this week. Not only have Real Madrid stepped up and said, all right, you want 150 million euros for Mbappe? You got it. Not only is that being his preferred destination, but another familiar face that you could say a frenemy of the new star coming into play as PSG has come out and said, if we lose Mbappe, We're going to make a call to Juventus and get Cristiano Ronaldo. See how that works. 
I mean, is PSG using some sort of cheat code for FIFA that we don't know about? You're not supposed to do this in real life. Last time I checked. I mean, they got that Atari money floating around. So, mm. I mean, what a better way. Like, I mean, we also saw Carlo, just to be fair, Carlo Angelotti also bandied about uh, bringing Ronaldo back to Real Madrid as well. So mm-hmm. should, to bring that all for a circle should, should say that. Like, imagine, first of all, like, this is a move that everybody's saying is going to happen next season with Mbappe having the free. Like, why would you move him now? Real Madrid looked fine against Alaves on 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 the weekend. I mean, like, do they really need him? But obviously, when you're wanting to make a challenge in Europe and you're wanting to do all these things, uh, d- being able to strengthen the squad helps. But I think, um, you know, what's what's not uh, thought about in all this is like, not only does PSG get messy, they already have Neymar. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine if you get the other triumphant of like. What he was sort of like some of the three best players there in one team, like, and it can all somehow work together. I mean, like, wow, this is insane! Like, create a team just happened right now. Like, this is nuts. But I mean, do you think Rachel, like, Mbappe is gonna leave right now, or you, or you see him waiting? I mean, Real Madrid is his like favorite club since he was, like, you know, a young kid. I mean, I think. If I were him, I would probably go. I think for him, it's, you know, he wants to make the most out of playing time and whatnot. I don't think you're like, you're not getting benched. You're not going to bench Killian Mbappe. There's no way. But if you have Messi and Neymar and Ramos and like all of these amazing players for PSG, the goals aren't going to be as contained to one player. I think him going to Real Madrid would make sense for him. I think the point about him being free next year, like transfer and all that stuff, it might make PSG be like, okay, well, you really got to give us something like solid and good for us to let go of him because they know his worth. I mean, come on. He's a World Cup winner too. I mean – didn't have the greatest Euro, but still, I mean, his, his talent is, uh, you can't write that off. So I think it would make sense for Real Madrid, but I don't know if, like, PSG is going to be stingy, as they should, in regard to give us the money. Well, I mean, he definitely, if you're uh, PSG, go get that money, right? Because you you need to... You need to put that money towards uh, if you're going to go get it, Ronaldo or, or whatever. And not only that, it's just you spend a bunch of money on Messi right now. So even though they have that guitar money, they can float it around. You still have um, other regulations, financial fair play that you got to worry about. You can't just be like, oh, well, let's just give him for, for something. Let's just try to get the most we can. If Real Madrid really want him, they'll come after him. I mean, Eric, Absolutely. like, couldn't you say the other end of it is – doesn't Mbappe stand to like really learn from being around Messi for an entire season? And you know, you're going to play on the front line with him. Like why, why not take that opportunity too? Well, I mean, you see this really in a similar situation, like you saw with France, look at all the talent that they had together, even with the likes of Pogba, Griezmann, all this assembled to win that world cup. And as Rachel mentioned, kind of ant the Euros, but that was a funky tournament. So with Mbappe, he's looking at himself 
I don't know whether he's hearing the hype or not, but it's out there that, okay, just like we had Ronaldo v. Messi, you were now that defining player in the era of Mbappe v. Erling Haaland. So do you really want to go somewhere and be the man, which he would be unquestioned at Real Madrid? And would that put them over the top against a weekend of Barcelona? I would personally think so. So if you're dealing with that kind of mentality, it is very, very alluring. Now, if he's not, then of course he will be willing to stay this season, learn all he can, soak everything in, going towards the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. But if you've already got bright lights, you're going to want to look for something even brighter. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think we're going to, this is going to be a battle. I'd be I'd surprised, very surprised if we just see Mbappe go in this window. But I mean, crazier things have happened. You know, crazier things have, have definitely happened when it comes to transfer season. And we still got, what, like two weeks of it left. So let's see if we, we have more things going on. Speaking of moves, the entire European season pretty much has already begun. And, you know, Serie A kicks off this weekend. So we'll have everyone uh, going off. And I, and I think what mattered to me the most is getting to see all the fans back and all the stands. Like getting to turn on. Man United leads at 7.30 in the morning and then getting to see a full Old Trafford crowd and the songs and everybody going crazy. And then that first goal from from Bruno like goes in and like that roar from the crowd is like, man, soccer is not the same when there's nobody there and you're just hearing fake noise from the TV. But man, just hearing all that just maybe uh, like even more hyped for everything to start over, you know, start over again. I mean, yeah, we've seen the crowds with MLS, with NWSL, with all that, but it's like, it's a little bit different when you start watching those, um, you know, the other leagues in Europe and, and getting to see that. I mean, like, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, either one of you guys watched some games from this weekend, but that is what stood out to me the most. They talked about it a lot, but it really was a big factor of this week for me is like, not only is the season back, not only is all of our teams like that we watch in those leagues back and we can see them, but it's like, man, it feels like even though there's still a pandemic going on and we're feeling it here in the United States right now, uh, especially in the state that we're all in. We all live in the same state now. Uh, very, <laughs> very, so very, weird to say. Yes, right? <laughs> um, various different parts of it, uh, but still – it doesn't feel like that when you watch watch these games with the, with the crowds being there. Like, what did y'all think? Oh my gosh, it was so cool! It was so cool. Like, I was I mainly watched the games in Germany, um, yeah. and it was just I mean, it was amazing. I'm a Borussia Mönchengladbach fan, so of course I watched um, their game against Bayern, and it was a great game. And just to see a full stadium in Gladbach was was awesome. And then Today with the um the German what's it called like the German the super the basically yeah, the German, German super, super cup, cup thing yeah the German super cup with uh, Dortmund and Munich today it, it was awesome I mean it really felt like you really don't know or realize like what you miss until it's gone and yeah. I hated the artificial crowd noise I was like if they're not there then don't pump it in like it just doesn't make sense right now there was a kind of cool side and an interesting side when it was 
excuse me, when it was silent that you got to like hear the players talk to each other. You got to like really get that um, in the game tactical kind of like it for the soccer nerds. It was very tactical and cool, but there's nothing better than watching soccer and just hearing fans go crazy. And so that was awesome. It was felt cool. Eric, anything? I mean, even for looking at some of the matches with the smaller clubs, I'll get to one in particular later. It's just that extra level of energy Mm -hmm. that we've all missed. Yeah, you saw the great stadium designs with the seats and everything when the matches were behind closed doors, but the different TIFOs, just everybody jumping out of their seats when they see the players walking onto the pitch. It's like, I've missed that. Yeah, I've missed seeing that feeling because it gives me extra motivation to maybe throw things at the screen or whatnot, but I can feel it even reverberating just as a viewer. So I can only imagine this relief of it's like, okay, we're not back to normal yet, but now we're getting our big things. Now we can go to the matches. Yeah, and it's not only going to the matches. I mean, it really, I think, felt you could feel it with the players and how they played. Uh, there's When you're scoring goals, you're actually reacting to uh, fans that are there. And I think what's uh, it, it's even more like cool thing for me is imagine when the Super League thing happened, if fans could actually be in stands when that's happening. Not only would you have the thing that happened with, uh, you know, Manchester United and the fans, you know, going into the stadium and everything, but it would have been worse because they're there telling you about it constantly. And you saw it happen with this whole thing with uh, Manchester City and uh, Tottenham with Harry Kane, whether he's going to move or not. You saw by the end of the game when Tottenham is winning and it looks like they're going to win. Where are they yelling at Harry Kane? Hey, did you see that? Where are you? Harry you know, like Kane, that. are you watching? Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> so that's like the fun stuff that you like really miss when you don't have that. And I think it's it's great. And I mean, just to touch on this so we can, you know, move on to the next segment. Like the big transfer talk, at least in England right now, is whether or you know, UK is is Harry Kane going to move to Manchester City or not? This whole thing, whether there's a gentleman's agreement between him and Daniel Levy, whether he's going to accept the bunny. And then you watch that game between Tottenham and Man City, and it's like, well, if there's anybody that that's telling you right now that Man City needs a striker, I think Harry Kane just put them up, put a bunch of money uh, on on that deal that uh, Man City needs to make uh, to get anywhere near that. That I think it's like 160. 160 million that that uh, Daniel Levy wants for for Harry Kane. Um, so, like, first of all, do you think he's going to move by the time we get to the end of the season or end of the end of the window? Do you think he's a Man City player or no? If I'm going with my gut, I'm going to say no. And I get yes, City being title contenders. <laughs> now consistent in Champions League, you want to hunt for those big trophies. And you've already got Jack Grealish, the Premier League's first 100 million pound man. He got poached from Mastability, now he's at City. Now you've got Chelsea coming in, luring back Romelu Lukaku from Inter Milan. So the money is just going to be up and up and up I think City's going to 
try, but to me personally, I don't see it. I think there's going to be something in the way. Harry Kane probably won't be happy, but mm -mm, not this window. In the winter, though? In the winter, maybe. I mean, if Tottenham is languishing, say they're struggling, they're in the Europa League, they're not quite hanging on to a Champions League spot come Christmas, yeah, I think that could be the driving force and you could see him out. I think the money is certainly interesting. Like you said, it's like up and up and up. It, I really think it just comes down to how much is Man City willing to pay? Are they going to go for that big dollar money or are they going to be like, mm, well, we, you know, we signed some players this off season. We signed some during the window that we like, let's just roll with what we got and see what happens in the winter. Cause that dollar sign could go way down if, you know, Kane doesn't do anything. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think I agree with you there, Eric. I don't know if he goes in the summer with two weeks left. But I think there's a good possibility it, it does happen in um, 2021 later. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to disagree with you guys a little bit more because it's more about, yes, he signed the six-year deal that his brother got him. The Navy, uh, you know, that's why you don't always use your family as agents if they don't necessarily know what they're doing. Uh, like, you knew you wanted to move, so why – Oh, why, why, uh, like sign this deal and then mm -hmm. expect in something that's not written in your contract that Daniel Levy is just going to honor it and be like, oh, well, Man City wants to pay money. So will you let me go? It's like, no, he's not going to just let you go. He's going to try to get the most money he can for you. And so, I mean, at this point, I think he will leave. I think he, you know, maybe he won't make a big much of a fuss about it. But I think there was a lot being said afterwards that kind of made you feel like they're not necessarily sure if he's going to stay. The problem that may rise for Tottenham is, does he leave so late in the window that you can't get somebody in for him? And then it cripples the team, like, till you get to January. Um, and, you know, how much of a problem that's going to be, uh, especially if, you know, they're going to wanting to venture into to Europe, well, what, a Europa place, but still – you know, do you want to, or the conference, I think it is that they're, but still, um, you know, that's the thing is I think Man City always stated they're going to make a play for him. They're going to put in more money. Uh, and I think he winds up going, maybe they come to some kind of agreement for a little bit less than whatever Levy's wanting, or they send him a player because Man City's got too many forwards at this point. So they probably need to let go of one. Uh, I could, I could definitely see like Gabriel, uh, Gabriel Jesus coming on the, on the, you know, back the other way to Tottenham or something. Um, so that's going to be interesting how they, how they go with that uh, going forward. But, um, you know, moving on to what we watched uh, this week, we kind of talked a little bit about it this week already uh, mentioning it, but for me, like the one game that I really did uh, sort of focus on was getting to watch Man United at 7.30 in the morning, uh, getting up early, and then getting to watch that performance that they put on Paul Pogba was amazing uh, with his four assists. And it's crazy to think, I wonder if he would, you know, do that all the time. If he would, 
be able to play this way. And, you know, it's it's like sometimes you wonder, like, man, the way he plays for France, he doesn't necessarily play that way for Man United, but he definitely did that uh, in this game. And Bruno Fernandes was fantastic as well. Um, just um, we'll have to see what happens when Varane starts playing, who gets – if he still plays the double-holding midfield and everything. But, look, uh, Leeds helps out United the way they play, so I don't know if this is a great barometer because they beat him by, like, the same – almost the same score – uh, last season as well, but it's encouraging, encouraging. And then look at the schedule that they have going forward. If they can get on a roll, Eric, that's uh, that's some good stuff there. Absolutely. And I really think one of the main changes that Ole did perfectly is like, all right, we know we're going out and we're getting Sancho, we're getting Varane. What we did with like the four-two-three-one. We weren't able to maximize everybody. So we're going to do, like City, few other teams, we're going to switch that 4-3-3. Get Fernandez, Pogba more in the midfield together, helping out that front line. And all of a sudden, loose, open space. Yes, again, Leeds United, but still, I mean, you were seeing this from Greenwood, right on the edge of the box, it forced a great save. There was a lot more control that United had in these moments, and that allowed Pogba to become the first player ever in the Premier League to have four assists in a game. And Bruno Fernandes being able to push up just a little bit. United's first opening day hat trick since 77. It's like, this is a perfect time for it to work. And now you're bringing in other people it's going to just get even better. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's going to be a fun, I think, season for as far as uh, United goes, if we can finally see Solskjaer actually, uh, you know, because we always say, okay, they look great in some games, and in some games Solskjaer looks like he just totally got uh, the tactics, got uh, the best of them on there. And I, I, I think that they're going to improve a lot this year. Um, well, I mean, I'm going to say it now. I know it's only one match into the season. There's 37 left. Oh, oh we're going to start making big predictions. We're going to win the league. We're going to oh, win the league. No, that, don't, don't start putting that pressure on, Eric. I, I, come on. Second place. You get City in those kind of wobbly vulnerabilities. Jurgen Klopp is wondering how we're doing stuff. Come on now. Send some mojo. We got to shake some demons. <laughs> All right, Rachel, you mentioned Gladbach. I mean, is Oh, there... my gosh. Yeah. Joe Scally. First hey, off, he doesn't US even look... national team. Dude, Greg, give him, give him a ring. Give him a bell. He, first off, he does not look 18. He looks like, I'm 24. He looks 24. So, first and foremost. But he did so well against Bayern Munich and Bayern Munich is a really hard team, but he literally shut down Leroy Sané. That is not easy to do. He had 59 touches. He had an 85% pass completion. He had a few interceptions, few clearances. He just absolutely balled out. And it was a very competitive. It was a great game. One, one draw. It was awesome. But the game that I want to talk about, and you guys know that I want to talk about the rave green. 
The best rivalry in MLS is not the Hudson River Derby. It certainly is not Miami versus Orlando. It is 12,000% not El Trafico. It is Cascadia. Seattle-Portland is the best rivalry in MLS. And Seattle just blew Portland away. Yes, Portland scored two goals, but it was six to two. Six to two. That doesn't happen in a Cascadia rivalry game unless you're the Vancouver Whitecaps. Seattle had banger after banger after banger. Stefan Cleveland right there has just been, it, it is going to be so hard for the Sounders to keep hold of him because he could be a starter on five or six different MLS teams. But that banger right there from Freddie Montero was ridiculous. Raul Rui Diaz had an amazing goal. And Jimmy Madrona. I will be the first to raise my hand and to say I was very skeptical when Brian Schmetzer brought him on board. I was like, I don't know. He, he was like at his peak in Kansas City. But there's something that Brian Schmetzer does. And he takes players that maybe were not used correctly on other teams or just are kind of underdogs in their career. And he just makes them into these incredible players. And I mean, Nico, how do you say his last name? Ben, Benzet? Oh, Benzet. No, no, no. Benzet. Yeah. He, I have to laugh because our, our good friend, Matt Pollard had uh, tweeted, oh, like he has more games for the Sounders or more goals for the Sounders than he did in two years of Colorado. One goal. It took him <laughs> eight touches to score against Portland and he scored the sixth and final goal. It was an amazing game. Um, Portland, that was a really good hit from, from Portland. They had a couple nice goals. The first goal for Portland was kind of like this weird, it like, I'm surprised they didn't count it as an O goal against Cleveland because it kind of hit off like his foot or like his leg and it took like a weird bounce in the goal. But I was watching this game way past my bedtime. And when Portland scored that second goal, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be like a crapshoot all the way to the end. Like, it's just going to be a lot of craziness. And then Seattle scores four goals. And I'm like, how am I supposed to go to sleep right now? Um, that is the best rivalry in MLS. I never expected Seattle to win 6-2 to two in a rivalry game like that. But I know we're doing our homer section later. But I would be remiss to not talk about watching that game. And then just a quick little NWSL note. Today, the Portland Thorns traded AD Franch to Kansas City. And that's because of the play of Bella Bixby in like the last six games. And Bella Bixby on, um, I think it was Saturday this past weekend, proved especially why she is now the starting goalkeeper for the Portland Thorns. And that's nothing that AD Franch has done. AD Franch is absolutely going to be a starter in Kansas City. I am a little bit gutted for Caitlin Rowland because, boy, has she been through the ringer the last couple of years. She gets traded recently from North Carolina to Kansas City, and it was assumed that she was going to be the number one. You know, Nicole Barnhart was waived and looks to be on um, the verge of retirement. Abby Smith has not been great this year. And Caitlin Rowland gets traded to Kansas City, and she's like, yes, I'm going to be the number one. And now Edie French is coming to town, and she certainly is is going to be vying for that number one spot and will probably get that number one spot. But Bella Bixby, Vlako Antonovsky, you got to give her a call. It's time to get some of these aging goalkeepers out of here. You got to be calling up Bella Bixby. You got to be calling up um, Casey Murphy from the North Carolina Courage. They have just been absolutely excellent this year. 
and um, throw Aubrey Bledsoe in there as well from the Washington Spirit. But um, Bella Bixby is just she has had such a great slew of matches while French was with the United States at the World Cup, or not the World Cup, excuse me, the Olympics. And she has proven she had great games last year whenever there were injuries to France, but she has really proven these last couple of weeks that she deserves to be a starting goalkeeper in the NWSL. And I'm really glad that she got that shot. That that game against Orlando was incredible from her this weekend. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and if uh, just since we're on this note, because we're talking about NWSL and, and uh, women's national team players, um, one of your players that you have uh, perhaps maligned in the past since, you know, talking about uh, women's national team, Carly Lloyd finally announced that she's retiring at the age of 39. Finally. <laughs> and like, I mean. <laughs> she's definitely one of the best to put on the shirts, but like you, y'all got to admit it's like three years too late. Yeah. I mean, you don't yeah. see Same that. Same Women players, female players to play to you. I mean, you see. You saw it. You see it a couple of times. Like that's really rare to see, especially on-field players, like goalkeepers. Yeah, but on-field players to play to your thirty-nine. Uh, yeah, you don't see that very often. So, well, definitely... I mean, to be fair, you have the one guy in Japan who's playing at like fifty-four. And uh, Formiga's what forty-four and just played in her seventh Olympics. Yeah, I mean, but those are like <laughs> yeah. those are oddities, you know. Um, but they still got it. That's the thing. Yeah. Carly Lloyd has not been great for club and. She's been okay for country this year, but she just like it's see ya. Yeah, definitely feels like for a club, it's been a while. A uh, country, I think she still kind of gets up for it, you know, obviously, but um, you know, it definitely one of the best ever to to play uh for the US women's national team. And uh, you know, I, I saw some people it, you know, stating if you had to make a Mount Rushmore of of women's national team. You know, does she uh, does she belong up there at some point? I I uh, think but, so. Oh, you would say okay. It, it'd be close. It'd be. Close. I agree. Yeah, yeah, it'd be close. Some of the ninety oneers, and with this generation, you got a good list to narrow down from. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, Eric. I know you're going to talk about we had uh, some leagues. What's it now called? The leagues cup. They yeah, so many times now. Oh, I mean, between the League's Cup, which... Uh, the I Champions hoping, Cup. The... Yeah, I'm, now, now, with the League's Cup, I'm hoping they do get the chance to expand it to 16 teams like they want. Do I think it will help matters as in Orlando's 1-0 defeat? I doubt it. You've got CONCACAF League yeah. going on right now. You have a CONCACAF Champions League going on right now. And another MLS loss, Philadelphia Union losing the first leg 2-0. I mean, we're going to get to down the road as time gets closer to changes to CONCACAF Champions League, which I would love to discuss and I don't entirely like. Spoiler alert. But with what we're seeing right now, do I feel that MLS teams as a whole are getting better? Yes. But for some reason, we still can't get break this Mexican block. And I thought with how deep of a run we were making in the tournament, if this wasn't going to be the year, are we going to have to wait until 2023 when we see the format changes? 
I don't know. But I was like, I wasn't sad entirely, especially in Orlando City's case, because we have bigger fish to fry. But I'm still overall a little bit disappointed. Yeah, I mean, at least Seattle did their part. And Yuzu being the, like, number one uh, team uh, that usually get one MLS team that goes through. It's weird to see that all three Mexican teams, you know, all you know, it went 3-1 this time with uh, Sporting KC, uh, Philadelphia, and Orlando all losing out. And uh, Seattle, uh, was it, um, it was Degadis, right, that they beat? 3-0. Hey, Seattle is, is performing well in the league. They're doing well in Champions League. Well, used to be called Champions League. And, you know, honestly, I think the other thing that doesn't help them at all with this is, like, why are we playing the second leg a freaking month after this one? I and don't get like, it. Imagine if the UEFA Champions League did this. Oh, we're going to play one leg, and then a month later, when you don't even know what's going on with yeah, uh, what players go? What players are are injured? What your team looks like? How they're playing? That's a completely different run of form that you're on a month later. I mean, it's like really we couldn't fit the fixture in to finish the quarterfinals completely before we move on, or or you know, it's like this is a uh, weird scheduling. From now it's going involved. to be even tougher when they go ahead and they redo the or they do the revamped format a couple years from now, you're already going to be hearing talk of a transition tournament. And believe me, as the time comes, I'll get more into detail, but CONCACAF gonna CONCACAF in that regard. Uh, well, we can't expect anything less than CONCACAF CONCACAFing, uh, as, as that goes. Uh, Rachel, I mean, let's go ahead and and get into your topic here because, you know, Canada won the Olympics, which I think was uh, perhaps a surprise for many when it happens. And, you know, we, we see MLS has a rather, you know, sizable stake with uh, Canadian teams. But you're, you're trying to make the case that NWSL needs to do the same. Oh, Canada. I thought about singing the whole thing, but I'm not going to. Um, I can so, I can tell you, teach you the lyrics to it. I have a lot of Canadian friends. I did I did look up the lyrics. I was half tempted. So m- my friend Emily Dolhansi, a uh, colleague of mine over at the Equalizer, she summed everything up pretty much perfectly. Um, and so I'm basically taking what she wrote and verbalizing it and adding my own little Rachelisms on it. Canada has three MLS teams, but two of them, I think, are more better equipped to have women's clubs, and that's Vancouver and uh, Toronto. I think, you know, there are calls, too, from Canadians that now that there is the Canadian Premier League, that why isn't there a women's Canadian Premier League? Um, Christine Sinclair and a couple other players had said, like, Obviously, that's the long-term goal. We want like a full running league in Canada. But the quickest solution, the best solution as of right now, would be to get NWSL to Canada. If you can get two teams in 2022 to go to California, um, I think you can get at least one team in Canada, at least in 2023. Um, And I think Emily had made a really good point that there are a lot of, you know, local players that are kind of, 
under the radar or could get missed if they like they're the spots are limited in the NWSL and Canadians only have so much of a platform in Canada to, to play on. They don't have a club. They don't have, I guess I should say like university soccer up there. What we call collegiate soccer is not as big as it is in the United States. A lot of Canadian players come here to the United States and play their collegiate soccer. Um, Quinn went to Duke. I know Christine Sinclair did her college at Portland State. And so she stayed in Portland for her career. There are some amazing Canadians within the, I mean, back home in Pittsburgh, we, I think we have one of the, you know, maybe one of the better rising stars in Canada and Amanda West for the Pittsburgh Panthers. And a lot of Pitt's recruiting has been a lot of Canadian players. There's kind of this jump from like a lot of Canadian players are going to Europe because of the limited roster spots and whatnot. Because if you think about it, Canadian players, yes, they have the allocation list like the U.S. women's national team players do. But if you're not like on this allocation list and whatnot, I mean, you're taking up international roster spots. And you have to wonder if Canada gets an MWSL team, what that like, what the roster rules are going to be. Like, would U.S. players then be considered international players and whatnot? But anyway, because of the limited ability of having roster spots and then the international slots, more Canadians are really going to like the Swedish league, the French league, the FAWSL, stuff like that. Um, And those aren't bad leagues as the FAWSL proved last year. Um, Sweden has always been a very consistent league, but NWSL in Canada is not far-fetched. It isn't this crazy idea. Obviously it's working in MLS. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people that say, well, not every NWSL club has to be united to a men's club, but at the same time, how many Canadians with deep pockets are going to invest like how Angel City's investors have invested? So I think partnering with Toronto FC, I think partnering with the Vancouver Whitecaps and eventually partnering with maybe um, CF Montreal now, I, I think that's a great idea. And Vancouver and Toronto are certainly two possibilities within the next couple years. I really think NWSL needs to expand to Canada. And that should be a legitimate conversation, not just, oh, well, maybe we could go to Toronto. I think the NWSL really needs to pursue Toronto and Vancouver and the MLS clubs there and be like, hey, what do you think? I I would love to see MLS, I mean, NWSL in Canada. That would be a wonderful opportunity for a lot of Canadians who maybe wouldn't get that chance to on you know, American NWSL teams. So if MLS has figured out a way to balance a league with two countries involved, I think the NWSL could really take some notes. And, you know, even if that's a conversation between Lisa Baird and um, Don Garber to just kind of be like, all right, well, what have you done? Like what has kind of been the process here? I I really think it's a feasible option. I think that it's something that needs to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's something that we see in just not just soccer, we see it in other American sports where you, you have at least one Canadian team and most of the, you know, hockey's more Canadian than American. But, um, you know, baseball, basketball, you have the Toronto teams there. Uh, so and then baseball used to have uh, more uh, Canadian teams uh, at that at some point, you know, so it's like and then and also uh, basketball used to have Vancouver, they moved. But it's like. It's actually a good thing for 
we've seen it. It's it's good. We know you have uh, Canadian uh, soccer fans. Uh, you see it. Uh, you see it with MLS. Uh, so why not do that for uh, for the women? And like, like you said, you could keep a lot of the local talent in Canada instead of having to export them somewhere else so they can play for that Canadian national team or whatever. I you mean, need to build off the gold medal. Like that's exactly, an yeah. absolute, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, when we had the World Cup here in 94, one of the main things that FIFA said is you got to have, you got to have your own league, right? So that's really why MLS was started in the first place. So why not do that? Why not say, okay, we've proven that we are some of the world's best elite athletes when it comes to the women's game. Uh, we continually battle the U.S. always, and they're, you know, already at the top. Like, why can't, why can't we do this? And at least to start out, put out a team in a league that we want to flourish as well here in the United States. And then eventually you can have your Canadian league. But I think definitely for NWSL as well, like you're saying, you really need it. You really need uh, that kind of stability that I think a Canadian team could bring. Uh, and, and that's really the rub because if you look at the MLS pathway, look at how long Toronto was in the league before they approached other USL clubs wanting to make the move up, and that brought Montreal and Vancouver to MLS. And then after that happened, look at how long before you had those in Canada who were more than willing in saying, hey, let's get together. We have these MLS teams, Canadian teams in a predominantly American league. We have our population right around the, like, the border anyway. Let's go ahead and develop this Canadian league. If they wait and take that same path for the women's game, all the shine and luster from the gold medal are going to be long gone. Because this is something that takes, especially with the much smaller infrastructure, smaller population, fewer cities and hubs even available, years to develop. Whereas if you can get Canadian teams in the w- NWSL, it's like, all right, a year, maybe two, you have the cities, you know the framework, have these guidelines, and then you can get a year, two years, three years frame of reference. So that way you can go ahead and say, all right, well, we have this, we know what works and what doesn't. Let's tweak this and make it Canadian. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, but... They have time to figure this out. Like the NWSL was still a growing league. And, uh, but I think that this, what you need right now is to really have a stability for that league. And we've seen this with Canadian teams. They really do uh, help provide that. And I think it's, it brings a whole other fan base to the league too, which uh, you really could always use um, as well. So switching gears here to something that's actually very American. If you're going to look at it that way. Uh, because all of our leagues, for the most part, have some kind of salary cap or luxury tax. And UEFA is now kind of following the same path that we're seeing uh, La Liga take for all of the leagues. Um, they've had this financial fair play thing for a while, and it really just doesn't seem to work. This whole having to balance the books after three years thing is uh, is kind of nonsense, honestly, and some teams kind of get tend to be able to get away with it. Some don't. I mean, 
what is, I think it's like Manchester City seems to be the only team in England that seems to suffer from it. And uh, like this idea of UEFA bringing in a salary cap, which it's just an idea at this point. They haven't really, it's a proposal. It has not been officially uh, made or sanctioned. Uh, but I think there's something to be said for this being a good idea. I don't know how y'all feel about that. I think the luxury tax is sort of a cop-out in that you can just pay whatever you want and still kind of get whoever you want, even though that goes into a pot that gets redistributed to the other team. So perhaps that does end up helping those other teams too. But what do you guys think about UEFA eventually installing it? Like, think about that. Like the Premier League, the La Liga, Serie A, all the Bundesliga now have to have you only do 70% of your club's wages can be on players. And we're seeing this crazy thing happen with Barcelona right now, which is one of the reasons why they supposedly had to sell Messi and they couldn't register Memphis the pie for the game until PK said, I'm going to take a 50% pay cut. And they're still waiting on Jordi Alba. And uh, I can't remember who the other player is that has to take a wage cut to be able to register some of the other, <laughs> to register uh, Aguero if he's going to wind up staying or not. So, like, to avoid this kind of situation, and we've seen other clubs go to this Manchester United had, I think, some, you know, wage problems or or whatever, like debt issues. Do you think this is a good idea, a good stepping stone? Or, I mean, where, where do you land on this, Rachel? Like, I think it's complicated. I don't do money and I don't do numbers. Um, yeah. But I think that it's going <laughs> to make these clubs – budget a little more like there are players that are going to have to take pay cuts there are players that are going to like look elsewhere for big money i mean like I, I feel like it was just a couple years ago that the chinese super league was giving like millions and millions and millions of dollars mm. to these players like just like more than they could ever make and, and they were like yeah i'm going there it's not the greatest league it's not like it's you're not playing champions league teams but like hey money talks right, right. so i think maybe you're gonna see an exodus of players leaving uefa but I, I still think it is the most competitive conference in the world i i mean i i don't know if there's any argument there in this group but money definitely talks and i think players are gonna go where the money is especially like these older players that still like they're super popular and they're they still got it. And it's like, well, might as well like end my career making big money so I can like lay on the beach for the rest of my life. Get that right. big payday. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, Eric, I mean, you are a numbers, uh, numbers guy. I mean, so like for me, I, you know, I think this is a good first step, right? You mm -hmm. introduce this with the luxury tax mm -hmm. and then Maybe on down the line, you see how this works. If it doesn't necessarily work, if you're just seeing people just constantly keep paying the luxury tax money, then you see if you can introduce a hard cap. But obviously, this has been something that, like, also when when you would hear about the European leagues years ago, this was the difference between American sports and and European leagues and and other leagues. It's like, well, we don't have this salary cap thing. We don't have this force parity thing. It's just it's this is how it is. It's a bunch of teams are always going to be better and you're just happy with being mid table. You're happy with not being relegated. Do you think we eventually get to this part where now we have parity and now we have say a team like 
you know, like we saw with Leicester a few years yeah. ago, you see and, more and, of those. And I was just leagues. going to say, for as much as your bigger European teams fan base, they have the tradition, they have the trophies, they have all of these things. What was the dominant story 2016? Leicester City, Foxes, 5,000 to one shot out of nowhere winning the Premier League. And then what do they do a couple years later? Another dream run for the FA Cup. It's this level of interest. And if you bring sort of these ideas, because teeny bit of backstory, with what happened at Barcelona, as well as with La Liga in general, they have what they call a cost limit, akin to a salary cap. It takes into account, all right, this is how much money you've got. This is how much you're worth. These are your revenues and everything. This is what you're pretty much set to make. Super, super secret, you know, like the Starburst commercial, vault inside of a cave, inside of a volcano type of formula that a whole bunch of number crunchers, independent of the league, say, all right, these are your numbers. This is what you're going to be working with this upcoming season. With Barcelona, they're making so much money. Their cost limit just two years ago was over 670 million euros. Then what happened? The pandemic. Going into the 2020 or 2020, 2021 season, that got cut in just about half, 350 million. Then for this season, almost cut in half again, 160 million. So all these teams are in a little bit of a crunch. And with La Liga, they even have a special app for the teams. You have to go ahead, and when you register that player, you put in the numbers, they check. If that app flashes red, you're over that limit. Nothing you can do. So that's why the whole situation with Messi was in place, and you see with these other signings, they had to make it work. I do think that having that kind of model at some point within UEFA would be fantastic. Because for as much as we like Champions League, and as much as Champions League is even going to expand in a couple years' time, you still have that argument to where it gets very samey. The same sort of teams, you can predict, all right, who you're going to see in the knockout stage, who's going to have your best runs to the final, this and that. I think if UEFA implements something like that La Liga strategy, and even similar ideas floated about with the Premier League, Individual national leagues implement that strategy. For all of these smaller teams, both within the top flight and below, some of whom are drastically suffering and are on the verge of or haven't already disappeared, it's going to be better for the sport in general. And if all else fails, UEFA could turn around, do a 180, and pull the Super League card of their own. But that's for another day. Yeah, will be definitely uh, interesting how this goes on because, like, this has been a thing that really clubs have not wanted to be a part of for a long time. And it's the league, I think, had to do it eventually because of what's going on with Barcelona, because of what's happened with Real Madrid. They didn't want the investment from that uh, CBC group to take 10% of the league or whatever. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, most of the teams can can deal with their wages, but I think this really helps the smaller clubs in the long run as well be able to big bigger pushes and be bigger deals in their leagues. 
the Champions League, I think, is one of those things. Like, you always get a surprise team here and there. But that's like a knockout tournament. When you're helping your individual leagues, I think this is uh, this is way better than what the Super League was going to do in absolutely destroying most of those leagues. So um, hopefully this we can see some kind of implementation of this and and see what this actually does for definitely um, these leagues for sure. So Eric, <laughs> we had a a cool opener for the Premier League on Friday for a team Brentford that hasn't been in the Premier League for 74 years. And what happened? What now, happened? think about it like this. The last time a Brentford player scored a goal in the top-flight competition in England, my mom was an infant. That's how far back we're going. May of 1947. So, Brentford, the Bs. Newly promoted, Premier League debut, going up against the long-vaulted Arsenal. You think, okay, Arsenal, they're building, it's a cakewalk. All of a sudden, the match goes on. Oh, wait a minute, Brentford scored. No big deal. 1-0, flukes happen, yada, yada, Arsenal got... Wait a minute, Brentford scored again. Oh, it's 2-0. Are we seeing something going on? And then the match, clock keeps ticking, clock keeps ticking, fans in the stadium going nuts, full-time whistle blows, the upset is complete. The bees swarm over the Gunners, 2-0 win. I saw that and I was like, I can dig this. I really can. These are the moments, the celebrations, this is what we should be seeing. More. Oh, and then the crowd too. That's one of the ones where I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" Seeing the crowd, back. like this is a smaller stadium. It's not a huge, uh, you know, cathedral like Old Trafford or whatever. This is one of those like smaller. Like I think they sit like less than twenty thousand. Yeah, they're here. like fifteen thereabout. And like you can see at parts, some of the crowd is like literally on top of you. It's it's uh it's pretty cool. Like and then to see Brentford be able to. Like you said, make that entire not just get one goal and then oh, okay, we kind of coast it. We got the second one, and it was like, wow, all right, this is. I really love happening. their coach. Yeah, their coach too. <laughs> His hairstyle is something. His energy is yeah. ridiculous. He he is a member of the Brotherhood of Epic Hair. We expect nothing less. Sure, I mean, like it was. It's cool to see this, but I mean, I think it also says something about Arsenal as well that they are just. Uh, they are not the arsenal that uh, we remember as far as, you know, back in the day. Raquel Arteta really has a lot um, of work to do and maybe perhaps showing a little bit of American ownership working negatively. As we know, Stan Kroenke is not always the uh, mm. the biggest spender uh, in the world when it comes to... A, a correction. Not the biggest spender for stuff that counts. <laughs> yeah, for stuff that counts. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, get a big new stadium for the for the Rams. Go for it. You need you need a few players that actually you know will make a difference on the pitch for Arsenal. Ah, maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. Sorry, right. well, we can't. Things. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> for sure. So before we uh, end things here, we got to talk about our home teams a little bit. All of us have teams that we uh, we obviously were supporters of, we're followers of. 
mean, Rachel has uh, mentioned Seattle several times in here, but um, you want to talk about how you feel they are doing? Any, yeah. Any so Seattle is so, it's so weird to see them this year doing so well out of the gate because Seattle has historically, they start bad, then they pick it up and they make the playoffs every year. This year, they started out of the gate incredibly they had a little dip here in the last couple of weeks but getting Nico Lodero back a couple of signings here in the MLS transfer window it's it's been good for them and I mean they still have a long list of injuries Stefan Fry, Jordy Delem, Jordan Morris of course tearing his ACL once again um I know crazy and um, who am I thinking of? Oh, Nuhu and Will Bruin. You know, they still have a pretty long list of injuries. They just got Nico Ladera back. But um, like I said earlier, they beat uh, Portland 6-2. to two, So that was pretty awesome. Um, I already talked about Joe Scally and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, it's not easy to play Bayern. And it's certainly not easy to get a 1-1 draw against them. Let alone any points against them. So... Good on Byron. I did say last night on the last Word on Soccer podcast that I have adopted Orlando City SC as my new hometown team. In all fairness, I never had a hometown team in MLS back home. I had my Riverhounds in the USL. So my hometown team is Orlando City, but I'm not talking about that Santos game. Fulham is doing well. They're my team in England. They are in the championship this year. So the task for between now and the next podcast for you two is to help me come up with a team in England in the Premier League to root for and a team in La Liga because I've never really had one. I watched Celta Vigo whenever they had Fader Smolov on loan um, from Locomotive, but that was pretty much it. Speaking of which... The Russian yeah. Premier League is back. Um, <laughs> so that's fun. Locomotive tied 1-1 with Zenit um, St. Petersburg. So that was fun. Um, but yes, very excited to have that back. That's pretty much it. Oh, and OL Rain. There we go. I have a comparison for you. OL Rain is like the Pittsburgh Steelers. They win the games that nobody expects them to win and that they shouldn't win. And then when they play Kansas City, who has not won a game this whole season, they lose one nothing. And just like the Steelers, they win the games that they're not supposed to win and they lose the games that they're supposed to win. So that's my analogy. Those are my Homer teams. <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. Well, go for it, uh, Eric. What do you... Let me tell you. As many, many of our faithful know from past iterations, I go into MLS season expecting two things. One of my teams to go bang on, I'm thrilled, everything is great, and the other to turn around, reach down my throat, pull out my liver, stomp on it brutally, right? <laughs> I get it. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who did what, some sort of magic, hoodoo, doll, whatever. I'm not disappointed in either team this season. <laughs> yeah. The Orlando City, the Santos game. With Nani's hair. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Nani is. Uh... It is immaculate. I just want to put that out there. He needs to keep it. Something's working. <laughs> I'm loving it. Again. The whole Santos League Cup 
I understand about that, but looking at this, there is just something there. I'm not worried about some horror in defense. We can score when we need to. I get that we're a ways away from New England in the East, but the fact that we're right up there and have a shot at second place, I haven't been able to really save that. And then, aside from that, DC United, I don't have any one-syllable names that I have to scream out. We're above the red line. <laughs> Times are good. Now, can't blame, you can't blame Ben. You can't blame. I don't know. If they meet in the playoffs, you'll probably see me as a sprawled out mess here in the den, but I take that as a win. I would. Eric, I I know that we all watch soccer for the soccer. Mm-hmm. But come on, Hernan Lazada is like heart eye emojis. All of my guy friends in MLS are like. That's my man crush. Mm. And I have to say, DC United games are much easier to watch now with him on the sideline. See? I'm a there's woman. A reason. Like, there's a reason to, to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> just wanted to put that out there. Easy. Just all I'm saying is don't mess it up. Just don't go some Knock on wood. weird thing. <laughs> Let's keep this rolling. Give me this one season and I'll be grateful. <laughs> Uh, any other teams you want to talk about, Eric? Uh, aside from the excellent uh, Chef's Kiss performance that was Manchester United, I've bandied that about with a few friends of mine, fellow United fans and also a couple Liverpool fans and others. So that was a very nice sort of a gift to open this season with. So Aside from that, oh, I too might need to also find myself a good La Liga team. So I may be on the hunt as well. We'll see. Yeah, definitely um, makes them much easier to watch. Now that they're not out stuck on BN Sport that nobody has there in that one ESPN. So and ESPN they are, and ABC as well. Yep, and ABC, as I'm sure they were very disappointed that Messi was not part of uh, Barcelona for that. For that game uh, that was going to be on ABC. But uh, either way, the, the Barcelona still played very well. And Martin Braithwaite, man. He, um, out of nowhere, gets a brace. Out of nowhere, getting two goals, you know, off that hot Euro start and playing well. So, yeah, I, I mean, for me, I, you know, we, I, I already talked about Man United. They played wonderfully. And so great kick to the season. Let's see with this schedule that they have going on. Uh, Southampton next and forward if they can keep that going and then especially once you know Champions League uh, starts and then uh, Valencia that's my La Liga team is Valencia of course uh, from back in the day when uh, Roberto Saldado played with them over there um, he was like my favorite player for a while so that that team kind of just stuck with me you know it was weird watching them they looked decent but then in like the first three minutes they get a red card so then, like, they're down a man the rest of the game. And you don't really get to judge them much on that. Even though I thought they still played well um, in that game, even down a man, and, and they were able to get a penalty, which got them the goal. So that helped as well. But at least they got 30 points. This one matters moving on uh, from from them. And I'm excited, really excited to see Milan play again. Now that Sadia is going to start. And that's also on the Paramount Plus uh, now in the United States, so if you have that or you want to pay the the $10 a month to watch it 
you know, they have like, I'm very impressed with how they are doing that uh, this season. As far as if you care about Sedia, um, they, they replay, they get replays of everything, highlights of everything. So uh, if you already watched it for champions league, really going to be really worth it to watch it for the Sedia stuff. For me, I think I didn't, I haven't watched the, uh, the super cup game yet. So I'm, I was going to watch that once we get uh, finished here. I can't not end this without getting to talk about Dortmund and Holland, man. He looked amazing. Not only is that, that hair amazing, but he uh, was amazing in this game. Two assists, uh, that heck of a goal that he scored. Uh, Gio Reyna freaking got a, got a goal in this here. Uh, so, I mean, and then if y'all, I don't know if y'all watched the, uh, the interview with both of them afterwards. Uh, looks like a, a little bit of a bromance going on between those two guys. Yeah, Dortmund is off to a uh, to flying start and very uh, impressed with how they're looking. I mean, obviously, Bayern got hit with the COVID and everything else, so I don't know that we can totally judge them on that game against Gladbach, but we'll see um, how things move on. If, if Dortmund really is going to challenge uh, Bayern and keep them from that 10th title that they are so wanting to go after. Um, we saw Juventus get, get their chance taken away, so we'll see if Bayern gets to, to do that this year. And I don't get to watch them because they're stuck on BN, but uh, very happy to, with how Marseille has been doing in France uh, in the first two games. So hope that they can keep going on with that uh, that form and, and at least competing. I mean, yeah, it looks like PSG should be running away with it, but, you know, they didn't win the league last year. So maybe there's a chance that they that some of these other teams can, can compete uh, for sure. And FC Dallas – you know, I'm always going to be repping my Dallas and uh, see you I, Wednesday night, buddy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Tomorrow night we're going to be uh, Rachel and I are going to have to be rooting from far away against each other here uh, to see who who wins. It kind of sucks that Dallas got beat 2-0 because they were on a good run of form. Let's see if we can get that uh, get that back and Ricardo Pepe can go back to scoring goals. Uh, and everything and America won. So that's positive. And they, they won the league and they beat Philly. So so good on America to keep winning in Liga MX. I have a family that's uh, like Mexican family that uh, they're America fans. They were like, you have to be an America fan as well. Uh, America fan. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm a America fan. Whatever. <laughs> I don't. You, you couldn't just not be a fan for that one night, one match, you know, just. Club Tijuana. <laughs> yeah, right, Club Tijuana. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, once – and if we get to the leagues, I, I think America's going to wind up losing to somebody because they're not as good as they've been in the past recently. Um, so, I don't know if they'll make it to the final. But, I mean, I hope Seattle, if they end up playing each other, or maybe one of the other Mexican teams will beat them before we get to the final so I don't have to root against them. You know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. but. Yeah, going to be another fun week uh, with with soccer. With like I said, the Italian league is starting. You got more of the Champions League. Like playoff is going to be decided in this week, and then we'll we'll get the draw as well, uh, which is always a fun thing for the the UEFA Champions League. So we'll have that, and of course MLS and WSL, all those continue, and we'll see how yeah. things go. Countdown I'm, to the big MLS Liga MX All Star Game. Exactly, big. Ooh, yes, big battle there. All Stars against All Stars, MLS against uh, Liga MX. 
Well, I'm just excited that we got to have this show again and be back with you yes. guys here on video. That's what's cool. Hopefully, you know, if you watch for, if you watch on YouTube later, um, you can let us know what you thought. Um, Try to introduce some video in there as well. But I mean, it's hard with the, with restrictions as far as, um, you know, fair use and all that. So. I know maybe mm -hmm. you don't want to see all of our faces all the time, but hey, this is what's cool about doing video. We could do these kind of things. Um, yeah, I let mean, us know if, if you I, like. I've already had one of our shows taken down off of YouTube. I'm trying to not add another one. To exactly. That. Yeah, we don't want to. We don't want more of the stuff getting taken down. So hopefully, you know, you'll let us know if you like this new format of us just kind of having segments and talking about things, not totally restricting ourselves to. Uh, the American side of things. We are going to still cover like men's national team, women's national team when those games do come up with those qualifiers that are going to be happening three at once uh, in not not too long from now in September. Uh, World Cup qualifying Crazy. will begin. And, you know, that's going to be for everybody, how they're all going to handle that as far as not just CONCACAF, but uh, all the other regions as well. Still crazy to think we're going to have a freaking winter World Cup, guys. Uh, the World Cup final right around Christmas time. I mean that's exciting for Christmas time, right? But still, World it's Cup it's weird. Next year, yeah. Can you believe that from the time that we're talking right now, the opening match is in just about fifteen months? Yeah, that's crazy. Oh. That's it. That's it. That's nuts. Go uh, Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Build off of twenty eighteen. Let's go, boys. Well, let's see how their chances fare as far as the, and the U.S. and and everyone else's as we get to get down to that international break. But, well, for myself, Sean, for Eric, for Rachel, thank you for joining us again here. And we're going to be back every Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, whenever you're hearing this in your uh, on-demand feeds. Uh, sometimes Rachel won't be with us. You know, she has other commitments. Uh, but at least – We'll try to make this weekly so we can be on a regular schedule. And, hey, what's cool is that we're all here having fun. That's what matters. And enjoying this beautiful game. Enjoy the beautiful game, folks. It's back at the highest level. And we have so many more weeks to enjoy it for as well. Later, everybody. Later.